0: Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This message was given at the Church of Ellersley in lovely Windsor, Colorado. This message is certain to convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellersley, we are always happy to provide answers. Simply contact us at www.ellerslie.com. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen.
1: The all-sufficient one. And I have a subtitle here, A Study in Exercising Godliness. It's sort of a strange thing to think of exercising. Uh, we can ec- understand exercising even something like love or faith, but godliness, the reason it's hard to know how to exercise is because we have no clue what it is. So how do you exercise something you don't even understand? Well, the way to exercise it is to understand the all-sufficient one, to turn over your life to the all-sufficient one. And as we go through this message, I think this will make sense, but this is one of those messages that it is going to address something very specifically, but in the process, it opens what is the proverbial can of worms. And as a result, as a pastor, you typically want to avoid themes like this, because what good do they really do? However, if you avoid it, you actually never address the issue. What's happened in our culture, especially in our Christian culture, is we have a barrier that is set around the topic I'm going to talk about today, which sort of puts an off-limit sign, like uh, no fishing, uh, no trespassing allowed. And We just go our merry way and say, oh yeah, I'm not supposed to go in that territory. And so then a message like this pulls up the sign and says, who put this here? And we're all like looking at each other. I don't know. Did you put it here? No, I didn't put it there. Who put it there? We have these signs that prohibit This this discussion, even though it's so obvious what we're going to discuss. And yet what happens is it begins to... uh, I'm trying to think. Like if you had a water balloon and you put a little pin in the side, what would happen? Water would begin to spurt out. And in this, it's sort of like we are touching an issue and it's almost like we can't help but have pinholes in it. Because it creates and it begs a follow-up question. I'm going to give a truth that basically is going to sound super spiritual... And your mind will say, are you saying that I'm not supposed to do anything practical? I say, no, I'm not saying that. However, this is still true. And so how we work out these truths is exercising godliness. To exercise godliness is different than exercising human wisdom. Human wisdom is what all of us specialize in, in this earth. That's what we're trained in. And if we do not exercise human wisdom, bad things happen to us. Bad things will happen to our health, bad things will happen to our finances, bad things will happen to our life in general. And yet God doesn't tell us to use human wisdom, he tells us to exercise godliness. And he does ask us to exercise wisdom, I'm not a saying he doesn't. However, there's a difference between heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom. I was talking to the men before I came over here this morning, and I was using the illustration of Joshobiam the Tachmanite. Joshobiam the Tachmanite is one of David's mighty men, an extraordinary man in history. His name means Joshobiam the son of wisdom. That's what Chachmanite means, the son of wisdom. And what he is, is he's the evidence in scripture of how wisdom works. So, if you, what is the fruit of wisdom? Well, the fruit of wisdom is Joshobiam, who went against 300 single handedly and slew them. And then he went out and went against 800 single handedly and slew them. And there isn't a mom alive that would encourage Josh Jashobium, their son, to go out and do that. That is not human wisdom, and yet it's God's wisdom. And so, sometimes God's wisdom transgresses human wisdom. And that's where we must side with God. And so, is wisdom bad? For instance, one of the things I'll talk about is the human body. Getting eight hours of sleep at night, is that wise? Absolutely. According to the laws of nature... Your body will be healthier when you get sleep. However, there are going to be circumstances in your life where God calls you to even pray through the night. Is God violating wisdom? No, God is perfect wisdom. Therefore, he may be violating human wisdom, but the divine mind knows what it's doing. And so we must trust that God trumps human wisdom. So as I go through this, I just want you to know your, your toe will be sticking out and I will be sure to step on it. It is impossible almost to go through this message without stepping on a toe. I, and I, I mean that, right, from the beginning. And so how we're going to do this, I just ask for grace in the beginning. I want you to see the hierarchical purpose of this message and the truth that leads this message. And then how it applies is part of exercising godliness. Okay? I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage... By the way, this is the beginning of what's called the Ten Commandments. This next line is called the First Commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, most of us would say, understood, God. I don't have any idols that I'm bowing down to. I don't believe in Buddha. You know, I'm not going after uh, Molech or Baal. I have no uh, attraction to these gods. And so, I'm keeping the First Commandment. What's the next one? And we're ready to move on. And so, Eric stops us right here and says, whoa, 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 whoa. You have no other gods before God? There's nothing else in your life you're turning to outside of God. You see, God is the all-sufficient one. Is he all-sufficient to you? So what I'm going to do in this message, is I'm going to sort of define seven different pockets of your life, or arenas of your life, where you have to find satisfaction. You have to find something met in that area. Because you're alive. You're a human. And in those seven areas... Are you turning to God, or are you turning to something else in this earth, another God? Well, the Bible makes it very clear, thou shalt have no other gods before him. And so, like I said, toes squashed as we go through this. Israel's propensity. Have you ever noticed that with Israel, as we read it, we're always like, what is wrong with these people? They have Jehovah God, the God who parts the Red Sea, the God who leads them across on dry land, swallows up the cavalry of the Egyptians, literally destroys the most powerful military force in maybe history, who knows, and literally without even one single weapon in the hand of the Israelites, they don't even lift a finger and God devastates them. They, 31 hostile empires in the land of Canaan totally brought low by this God. He feeds them for 40 years supernaturally from heaven with something called manna. Their shoes don't wear out. They're led by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Why would they ever veer away from this God? Why would you ever veer away from this God? Well, let's look at... I'll just read a scripture for you. By the way, this is a very common statement in scripture. And yet they would, speaking of Israel, they would not hearken unto their judges, but they went a whoring after other gods, that statement. If you want to just study the word "ahoring" uh, after other gods, oh, the Bible just says it over and over and over again. And who's doing it? Israel. What? And so we're thinking, those idiots. What are they doing? Because they're going to all these weird gods too, with all these weird names and these weird ritual sacrifices. And all of us, us brilliant modern-day Christians, look at them in horror, and we're just bewildered by the fact that they would behave such a way. They went a-whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them. They turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did not so. So, we can look at that and cluck our tongues and wag our heads and say, disgusting. Israel's propensity is our propensity. So, let's see if I can illustrate this. This will be station one, station two, and then station three. Okay, did you catch that? I have three different locations. First... Location will be health, vibrant growth, life, in obedience to God. So the all-sufficient one is all-sufficient. However, there are certain things that can bait us away from that all-sufficiency. And we can turn to self-aggrandizement, self-comfort, self-pleasure. The different temptations that many of you are probably familiar with that woo us out of a very clear understanding of living in the light as he is in the light. And we have little shadow dimensions of our life. Little areas that we are wooed into and we disobey the clear command. What happens to Israel? In history, when Israel begins to violate God, they begin to pull away. Suddenly, there's a diminishment of strength in Israel. And so what happens to their crops? They stop growing the way they used to. What happens to their cattle? They start miscarrying. What happens to their health? They start breaking down. And so what happens in such a moment as this? What happens in such a moment in your life? You know that there's these adjacent nations over here? And you know that they're not held accountable to the same law of God as Israel is? And you know that their crops are still flourishing? The drought came on Israel. It didn't come on Moab. It didn't come on the surrounding nations. And so as a result, you know what the surrounding nations say? Oh, you have a problem with your crops? We have a God who can help you with that. What you need to do is come to our God and give him a sacrifice. Then your crops will work. Oh, you're having a problem with fertility? Oh, yeah, you're having a problem with with health? Yeah, you see, we have all those things covered with our gods. And so Israel, instead of turning back and repenting and coming back to Jehovah, what do they do? They go and look for an earthly solution to actually a heavenly problem. And they went a-whoring after other gods. It's the same thing we do. We distance ourselves from the very clear word of Scripture, and we diminish somehow, some way. We diminish the fact that well, there's a reason for why my life is in disrepair right now. There's a reason why I'm weak, and it, uh, it isn't you know that I turn my back on God. It's just God is not meeting my needs. God's not coming through for me. But this God could. This God is helping these people. These have you ever noticed that people over in this camp have testimony? They have all sorts of testimony. Yeah, and I, I turn to Molech, and you know what? I've never been happier. And we're like, oh, boy, I've been really struggling with depression. Molech may be the answer. And all of us in this room, would go, don't turn to Molech. Well, how about Baal? Well, there's all sorts of them over here. You know that we go a-whoring after other gods. Christian, Christianity in America... Cloaks it. We don't see it. We don't recognize what we're doing, but we're not turning back to the all-sufficient one, the one that has answer for every little detail in our life. The itch for the counterfeit Savior. Why would we itch for a counterfeit Savior? Savior, right here, all-sufficient one. But there's an itch to find it somewhere else. There's an itch to find an answer because all these other answers involve what we can do. We have strength, we have wisdom, we have ability. We can do it. We can find the glory for ourselves if we can find a counterfeit Savior. Who does that counterfeit Savior end up being? Us. Somehow, way, we go from having our Savior being God Almighty to our Savior being us. It's called sin. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon, typically understood as money to a lot of people, but the Greek word mammonas means the object of earthly trust, the counterfeit savior, that which is perceived to save the treasure. If you put your confidence in anything outside of the all-sufficient one, it is called mammon. If you have a confidence in any object of earthly trust, any counterfeit savior, it is idolatry in Scripture. You cannot serve another God and the all-sufficient one. You pick your God. Do you want to put your confidences in this earth and the systems of this earth? Or do you want to put your confidence in God Almighty? You cannot serve two masters. God or the object of earthly trust? God or the counterfeit God? Which one? Pistikos, another Greek word that is used, and you'd recognize it, because I've, I've taught on Mamonos and I've taught on Pastikos. In the past, typically it's, it's a word that's pasticos nardos, which is the way it's used in Scripture for spikenard. It's what Mary of Bethany took and broke out on Jesus. You see, what pasticos means is that which is relied upon, that which is trusted in, the object of one's faith. The gospel centers around us going and finding that which we have trusted in outside of God, our pasticos, our spikenard, and bringing it to Jesus and saying, I offer this up. I will not turn to anything outside of you. You know when Mary of Bethany took her spikenard, which is called spikenard pistikos, or pistikos sti- spikenard. It was the object of her trust. That's what it says in the Greek, even though it doesn't translate that way. She took it and she broke it out on Jesus Christ. You know what Judas said? What a waste! It violated everything about human wisdom that is wired inside of us. If you have a year's worth of wages here in that box. The worst thing you could ever do is lose that box. You put a heavy, you put a sentry around it, get a vault, do something to protect that because people are going to try and steal it from you. And if you have it, you don't get a leak. If you have a leak in it, what are you going to do? You're going to plug that leak. Well, here's a wise thing to do. Do not break the box. Mary of Bethany violates everything and she breaks that box out on the feet of Jesus. And Jesus... Says, you know, to all those that are making comment, says what she has done is good. What what kind of wisdom is that? It's heavenly wisdom. Because what she has done is she has turned to the all-sufficient one. She has declared her trust and her confidence in the all-sufficient one. Now let let me ask you a question, because this is what starts spurting out. Is spikenard bad? No. It's not that spikenard is bad. It is an inordinate trust and confidence in it instead of in the all-sufficient one. Is it bad for us to have money? No. It's when we put our confidence in our savings account. It's when we put our confidence in our 401k instead of in the all-sufficient one. That is where the problem lies. Where is your faith? What is the object of your trust? Do you have a counterfeit savior? Christianity. The all-sufficiency of one God. So Christianity is in a very short nutshell type of sentence. It's the all-sufficiency of the one God. You see, almost every other nation in these times had multiple gods. It's called polytheism, many gods. And that's what we've become as American Christianity. But Christianity is the all-sufficiency of one. You have a God, and he is able to do all things. He's called your all in all. Everything that is needed for life and godliness is satisfied in him. Now, what could spurt out of your mind is, well, what about this and what about this? I mean, can he really take care of this? Does he really have interest in this? I mean, I don't want to bother him on this point. God is your all in all. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. That's where you get our little subtitle. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. I'll give you context for that as we move forward. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. There's something called the mystery of godliness. And I'm going to define or give an idea of godliness because godliness is one of those obscure sort of bland concepts in Scripture, where it's just like it's a good word. It's like it's one of the fruits of the Spirit that we just sort of say, yeah, 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 great. It's a, yeah, we get godliness too, whatever that is. We don't know what it is. It's an evidence of what happens when we exercise the, the fact that God is all-sufficient. When we show him the due respect that is his. It's sort of like God is our all in allness. God is our sufficiency asness, whatever the word would be. It's called godliness. God is my life. God is my health. God is my provision. God is my comfort. God is my salvation. I find none of those things in this world. I find it all in Him. Now, if you've hung around Christianity, every single one of you say, absolutely, Amen. However, we prove practically to violate the very statement that's coming out of our mouth with the way we're living our life and the way we turn in crisis. When we have a crisis, where do we turn? We turn to our God. Where are you turning then? Where do you turn when things get difficult? Where do you turn when these things happen? That defines what your God is. And you shall have no other gods before Jehovah. Godliness. So I'm going to give some just brief definitions of godliness, and I'm going to call something humanliness. So like humanliness, humanliness, okay? Godliness, the best of God's life exercised in a man's body. Humanliness, the best of human ability exercised in a man's body. So godliness is the best of God being exercised in and through a human life. Humanliness, I know it's a strange word. I was struggling with knowing what to go. If I called it manliness, I stand for manliness, but godly manliness. So I didn't want to obscure that. But humanliness, where humanity is able. So this is the best of human ability exercised in a man's body. Godliness, that which reveals what God can do in and through a yielded human vessel. So what could God do if he gained full access to this and he was all-sufficient for this life? What would it look like? Well, how about humanliness? That which reveals what man can do when his best, most sincere efforts are given to the task. Godliness. Turning to God for life and everything that pertains to living life well. Well, how about humanliness? Turning to man's efforts to conjure a sense of life. And leaning on man's wisdom, strength, and ability to bring the effects of salvation, redemption, and restoration to the soul. If you have any basis in Christianity, you know that we're meant to be godly and not humanly. We are not meant to glorify man, we're meant to glorify God. And yet, there's a propensity in us it's an itch for a counterfeit Savior, it's an itch to show your value, to show what you can do. And here's what's funny as Christians, we say, Look what I can do for God. No, look! Look how I use my wisdom for God. Look how I use my talent for God. That's humanliness. Godliness is look how God uses His grace to change me. See, God is the one that changes us. The fact that He humbles Himself and condescend to, to use your body, to use your personality, to use your abilities, which by the way He doesn't need. But he chooses to condescend to use them is for his glory, not for yours. And so when you think that your little skill that you have here is like, look what I have. It's pathetic compared to the grace of God, the all-sufficient one. You compare God to Baal. Do your voting. Go to the poll. Vote which one do you think would win in a competition head-to-head? Which one are you going to vote on? Which one are you going to bet on? Well, that actually was a little challenge on the top of Mount Carmel back in the day when Elijah the prophet came up. And he says, all the prophets of Baal, what were they, 400? And then there were all the prophets of the grove. I think there was like 850 prophets there that day. And there was one for Jehovah, Elijah. So the God that answers by fire, let him be God. Who answered? 850 prophets were slain that day, and Elijah was still standing. I say, let's vote on God. Christianity. That which God does to save man. Humanism, that which man does to save himself. I don't know which one you're leaning towards, but I would highly encourage you to go up on that list and choose Christianity. Christianity, by its very definition, is that which God does to save man. I am a man who cannot save myself. I have turned myself over to the all sufficient one and I am saved. It's Christianity. I am saved by God, not saved by my own efforts, power, wit, wisdom, and human ability. Humanism, on the other hand, is that which man does to save himself. Who gets credit in Christianity? God. Who gets credit in humanism? Man. Paris Reedhead's famous quote in Ten Shekels in a Shirt, which is, by the way, possibly one of the greatest sermons ever preached. Christianity says, of course he says it with a booming voice, Christianity says, the end of all being is the glory of God. Humanism says, the end of all being is the happiness of man. One is born in hell, the deification of man. The other was born in heaven, the glorification of God. There's a big difference between the two. And let's make sure we know which one we believe and which one we live. The return of sanity to the congregation of saints. I'm going to call this the pebble business. You have, in your own natural resources, you don't have a lot, but you have a pile of pebbles. Okay, you have a little, uh, and so we could call it the pebble business. So in your life, you don't have diamonds, you don't have gold, you have pebbles. Now, if I tried to sell you some pebbles, I think I used this illustration last weekend at the girls' conference, but if you tried to sell your pebbles, uh, and you said like, $20, $20, handful of pebbles, no one's going to buy them. And so you have to lower your price a little. You know, pretty soon it's 50 cents, 50 cents, handful of pebbles. Pretty soon it's pebbles for free. Please take my pebbles. And then pretty soon it's, I'll give you $20 if you haul off my pebbles. You see, pebbles are worthless, and yet that's all we have. We don't have anything to actually run a business off of. I mean, one of my favorite things is watching Hudson. Hudson understands business already. I don't know how the guy's wired, but he's started multiple businesses. And he doesn't understand the concept of commodity. He's learning. But it's sort of like he'll take a rock and he'll paint a face on it, and he has rock toys. And so he, he's making commodity out of something that no one would ever think of buying. And so I, I like how he's thinking. It's, it's very impressive. However, as we begin to move forward in life, we begin to realize we don't actually have anything to sell here. We're, we're poor. We're impoverished. Okay, so that sets up what I'm going to say. The pebble business, the power of self-effort. You can run a pebble business, and I'm not saying that you won't scrap together some measly existence on earth, but God's here to tell you your pebble business stinks. You're like, how dare he say that my pebbles are worthless? And then he says it again. Sorry to offend you, actually. He's not sorry. Your pebbles are worthless. And we're like, oh, I'm offended. You know, healthy Christianity is when we finally bend to God's opinion on the matter and say, you know what? He's right. My pebbles aren't worth anything. I have a business strategy that stinks. So the gold mine, this is our contrast. This, I extracted this little uh, letter here from my message, The Five Arts of Intimacy, where God bequeaths to me a gold mine. Okay, imagine you have a pebble business, and then suddenly you find out that God has bequeathed to you a gold mine. So the gold mine, it starts with a gift, a promise, and a commission. So here's a letter that I received from God, my father. My son, Eric, herein lies the deed to the Havilah gold mine. It's yours, 100% yours. This mine is guaranteed to yield. Though at times it may appear to have run dry, I promise you that there will always be a fresh vein of gold to follow. You must look for it, study it, get to know it, and never, and I mean never, will you go without. If you seek gold, you shall find gold. This mine will certainly reward you if you diligently seek its riches. You are penniless and unable to support the high calling you've received on your own earthly salary. He could have said on your own pebble business. I understand this and therefore have bequeathed you this mine as the means of financially supporting the gargantuan assignment I've given you. As your father, I heartily exhort you, even command you to not take this mine for granted nor to forsake its great wealth. Mining is difficult work. And no doubt there will be times in which you desire to see if your own measly paycheck can sustain you. I assure you now that it will not and never will be able to. So quit yourself like a man, Eric, and go to work. If you heed my directive and embrace this high calling, you will have riches to spare. I'm eager to witness how you steward this grand gift I've entrusted you, your your beloved father, Abba. So I have a pebble business. Well, let me me stick the pebble businesses over here, isn't it? Uh, In my illustrations. False God. It's unable to sustain us. The gold mine. Okay, right, so if your issue is financial and you're thinking one day you wake up and you have this letter from your father, you know that your father has given you a gold mine. How ridiculous would be would it be? How foolish would, would it be? How idiotic would it would it be to go to your pebble business? And say, I just need to work my pebble business. It would be unwise to forsake this pebble business. I've been given a pebble business. I have the natural ability for a pebble business. I know everything about pebbles there is to know. So how ridiculous would it be for someone to go back to their pebble business when they have a gold mine? The epitome of foolishness. Spending your time and energies on a pebble business when you've inherited a gold mine. I I don't know if that makes sense to you, but... If you have the all sufficiency for everything you would ever need in life, in a gold mine, and it's been given you, why would you ever go somewhere else to meet that need, to scratch that itch? It's a good question. And we go a whoring after other gods. The dark room. How does one get rid of darkness? Now, I'm going to just, this is just a principle I'm laying down here. You see, when you're struggling with darkness, it's the absence of something. Darkness is merely the absence of that which is supposed to be there, and that's light. Darkness is not the presence of something, it's the absence of something. And that is why when the presence of something, known as light, enters the room, darkness has no place. So when you turn on light in your life, or say you're living in darkness over here, struggling, what should you do? You should repent and turn on the light. And when you turn on the light, did you know the darkness leaves? you no longer struggle with darkness when you live in light. So how does one get rid of darkness? Well, for darkness, there is only one solution. I want to emphasize the word one. Because we have convinced ourselves today, under the banner of human wisdom, that there are multiple solutions. Polytheism. There are multiple gods who can answer, and can handle the same thing that Jehovah promises to. But I'm going to say, for darkness, there is only one solution. Light. Everything else is a counterfeit solution. You know that there's a counterfeit light? You know that Lucifer's name means bringer of light? It does. But it's a counterfeit light. And you see, you have to violate the true light and what happens when you turn on the counterfeit light? All goes dark. It's just sort of a funny thing. He goes, I'm light, I'm light. Oh, you're looking for light? I bring light. And so we go over and go, really? Click, everything goes black. You see, we actually, by heating the counterfeit, we end up doing the exact opposite of what we thought we were even doing in the first place, which was solving our problem. For deadness, say there's something dead. How do you solve something that's dead? There's only one solution for dead. That's life. You see, deadness, you know that what death is, is the absence of life? You know that when we die, basically that means we've, life is left. And so when we are dead in sin, what, what does that mean? That means the life of God is absent. That's all it means. It means the life of God is absent. So for deadness, there's only one solution. Life. Everything else is a counterfeit solution. What a strange thing to, you know, rub embalming agents over a dead body and think that that's going to do anything. There's only one solution. It's resurrection life. There's only one who can bring that, by the way. For hunger, there's only one solution. Food. Could you imagine if you tried to solve your hunger with a different solution other than food? There's only one solution for hunger. The native elements that God has given us. When we are absent of food or when we do not have something, what happens? Then its replacement enters in, which is hunger. And hunger is meant to drive us back to the food. Instead of driving us back to the food, when light goes out and we have darkness, when we have death in our life, we're supposed to turn back and repent. Go back to the one. Instead, the enemy has a whole business over here of many gods. And he says, I got just what you need for that. Uh I I got that too. By the way, you could bring up any issue and the enemy has a counterfeit. Every single thing on earth that you could ever struggle with. Google it. There's a solution waiting there in the top Google ranking. And it will tell you all about how to solve your ill outside of the all-sufficient one. For thirst, there's only one solution. Drink. For atonement, justification, salvation, redemption, justification, sanctification, forgiveness, and healing, there is only one solution. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I just shared with you the gospel in that one line. There is only one solution. For life and godliness, there is only one solution. The spirit of life in Christ Jesus. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, says Paul, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ, But I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Christ is over here, and he's the solution. And it's fairly simple, don't you think? The simplicity that is in Christ. Oh, you have a need? Go to Christ. Oh, you have that need? Go to Christ. Oh, you're struggling with that? Go to Christ. The simplicity that is in Christ, it's too childlike. Life is more complex than that, Eric. This is where his sto- toes start getting stepped on. Life is more complex than that. You have to apply human wisdom to address these other issues. And I'm here to tell you that every single issue on earth is solved in the person of Jesus Christ. And what do I sound like when I say it? A raving loony. My name's Loody, not Looney. I sound like a kook. It's an oversimplification. It's an ignorant position that Eric is taking there. It's the wisest position because I believe the record. That's what God says. He is the answer. There's a simplicity that is in Christ. However, look what the serpent does the serpent beguiles us, he beguiles us away and says, I have the answer for you. Come, look at this tree. You see, you have a desire to be strong, to be wise. And he says, I've got just the solution. And to go after that solution, we have to violate the clear command of God. And as a result, we put another God before him. See, the Bible is actually very simple. It says, believe. You see, we're after life, but how do you get life? Well, it's complicated. You have to exercise, you have to eat the right food. You have to meditate daily on good things, you know, on positive thinking. You have to do all these things and then maybe you can have a vapor of life. And God says, no, 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 no. no." The simplicity that is in Christ. You want life? I won't just give you life in this body. I'll give you eternal life. I'll give you God life. How, how do I get that? Believe. Well, like, oh, way too simplistic. You see, there's a simplicity that is in Christ. But if you choose To go after the complexities that the enemy has laid out to try and solve your ills. You will never live. You live when you as a child come unto God and believe. You say, I believe my God. I believe he's the all-sufficient one. And guess what? You have life. And it never can be taken away from you. It's eternal, everlasting. So how about fulfill the commandments? There's all these commandments that you need to fill. All these rules and regulations if you want to be righteous. And you know what God says in the New Testament? How about this? I'll give you one commandment. Love. If you love, you fulfill all the commandments. You see, God has made everything simplistic in Christ. So how do you get love? Have you guys ever studied that? Well, God is love. You have to go to the all-sufficient one who has the love. And when you turn to him, guess what? You have love, and guess what you do with that love? You fulfill all the commandments. No longer you worried about ticky-tack commandments. All you concern yourself with is Jesus Christ. And guess what happens? As a result, you fulfill all righteousness. Seek first and. Well, what about shelter? What about clothing? What about food? God goes, hush! The rest of the heathen seek after that. I tell you, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things that they're seeking after and trying to solve will be solved right here. Seek first him all these other issues are dealt with first clean you ever heard that statement that jesus says first clean the inside of the cup and dish and the outside will be clean also what are the pharisees doing they're trying to deal with all the intricacies of law to be righteous in their own strength and god says first things first let me have your life let me come in guess what Then the outside will be clean also and you will live as you ought to live first things first the master switch, all the individual switches solved in one. Now imagine if we had a whole, well, we do. We sort of have the same thing here. Imagine we have 40 switches to turn on all the individual lights in here and to dim them all, to do all sorts of various things, and you come in each day, turn them all on, turn them all off, and then one day someone comes in, it's probably like Josh, can't you see Josh Kinderbrew coming in and doing this? He goes, guys, why are you turning all the individual switches on and off? You just take the master switch and go, plunk. One master switch solves all the other switches. We've complicated life, and we've we've removed the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. One switch to rule them all. Sounds like some uh, movie line. (laughs) The air freshener. I was trying to give an illustration of this. It's a really hard thing to know how to illustrate. So I was in my office. Like the lake house next door has, I don't know, let's just say uh, 15 rooms in it, Okay, just as a, as a number. So say it has 15 different rooms in it, and there's a foul stench. There wasn't a foul stench, but imagine there's a foul stench, and the air just needs to be purified. It needs to be cleansed. And so I'm in one room. I was in my office, and imagine that I have an aerosol can in there. Well, what I can do is I can come up to that aerosol can and go, psst, and it will fill a little of the air, and what will I need to do to maintain that? Pss, pss. And you know, there's a certain benefit that is coming from that, as it says in scripture. You know, bodily exercise or taking care of the body has a certain benefit. It, it has little benefit. It's not that it cannot do anything. Pss. However, imagine this. Imagine instead of trying to go to each room and going pss, pss, all day long. Pss, pss, pss. Imagine we install the ultimate air freshener system. And it works through all the the ducts in the the building. So I I get this master uh, air freshener. And all throughout the day, it goes. And cleanses the air constantly. One system that does everything as opposed to me in my own strength, and my own natural ability, attempting to mimic the impossible. I don't want to spend my day. Air freshen, because then I have another issue, too. Well, now I have to vacuum, too, but I can't vacuum and air freshen at the same time. And then, oh, no, now I need to put, you know, reinstall paper towels in there. In other words, God handles all things. When we trust him, the whole house is put in order. But when we come up with our little miniature things to solve it and our little systems, we end up running around like chickens with our heads cut off. The seven yearnings of humanity, where the itch for the counterfeit is strongest. So I'm going to go through seven things. And each one of these, I want you to look at it sort of like a little temple. It's like a little house with a throne in it. And I want you to ask yourself, who is, in, who is sitting on the throne of this? I know the spiritual answer. Oh, God, of course. But I want you to allow God to search you. Is God seated in that throne? Number one, the health side of life. The sense of being whole and strong. You see, these are needs that we have in our being. We don't know it. You don't even need to be a Christian. You pop out of the womb and guess what? You have a human body. And if you're weak, if you're physically uh, down and, and don't have strength, what if you have a sickness? What if you're tired? Well, you know what? You need to deal with this. Because you have a need to be whole and strong just to function in this life. And so you will, as a human, go out to solve this dilemma. Where do you go to solve it? Key question. Remember, toes sticking out that I'm gonna step on, and I know what comes back. Are you saying, Eric, that we don't do anything practical? I don't want you to get bogged down in that. What I want you to do is recognize where true health comes from. In the Bible, it makes it very clear where true health comes from. He's called the physician. He is the life giver. There is no life outside of him. There's no true healing outside of him. Don't try and tell me about the medical industry and how profound the discoveries are. I'll tell you about my God who's always been there. You see, God rules all other systems. So don't tell me about all the great discoveries of organic foods and herbal remedies. I'll tell you about God. Don't tell me about the fact that we're doing a great work by running to find a cure. I will tell you that God is the cure and we've already found Him. God is the sufficient one. So, the health side of life eating, sleeping, tending, watching, exercising, monitoring, strength, vigor, physical endurance, dexterity, agility, bodily functionality. Where is your trust? Do you have confidence in something outside of God? That you say, well, as long as I take care of this, as long as I do this with a good regiment, then, then I will be whole and strong. The financial side of life, the sense of being stable and secure, we have a yearning to be stable and secure. It's a God yearning. We're built to be stable and secure. However, where are you turning to become stable and secure? Working, providing, investing, saving, buying, selling, business, trade, skill, labor. Where do you turn to find that stability and that security? comfort side of life. We need that sense of satisfaction, refreshment, and accomplishment. I don't know where it comes from, but it's heavenly. It's deposited in us, and we need to be comforted. There is something within us. However, where are you going to get that comfort? Having, holding, benefiting, cherishing, basking, resting, finishing, gratifying, fulfilling. The intelligent side of life, the sense of being right and competent. If you're an idiot, you want to solve your idiocy. If you are ignorant, you don't want to remain ignorant. You ever been in one of those situations where everyone in the room knows about something you don't? Oh, there's nothing worse than that, and so what do you do? You go home and try and figure it out. I remember being in college, and I had never heard of the bar exam in my entire life. That's the test, by the way, I'll save you guys the embarrassment. That's the test to get into law school, and, or to get out of law school. And so I, I remember hearing that John F. Kennedy Jr. had flunked the bar exam. And they, these guys at the table at, at uh, lunch at college were talking about this, and they kept saying that he's going back to take it again, and I think he'd flunked it like three or four times, and... I have this thought going through my head, and it was an ignorant thought, by the way, but I didn't know any better, and I'm walking back to the dorm, and I'm saying, why does no one bring up the weird thought that why is John F. Kennedy Jr. studying to be a bartender in the first place? (laughs) And all my friends looked at me like, you're joking, right? I I think so, maybe. Maybe I am joking. (laughs) Oh, how horrible. So, we want to solve these dimensions. We want to be competent. We want to have a sense of being right. And so, we will go to great lengths to solve that, to not be the ignorant one in the room. Where are you turning? Where do you turn? Schooling, training, learning, studying, understanding, outwitting, knowing. Where do you turn to be competent? The purpose side of life, the sense of being really alive. We were not made to be dead, we were made to be alive. But you don't feel alive, so what do you do? This is the side of vision, ideology, cause, concern, mission, dream, ambition, exploring, fighting, contending, daring, risking, doing. I want to feel alive. Why do people jump out of airplanes? They want to feel alive. Where are you going to be alive? Key question. The relational side of life. The sense of being on good terms with and sharing intimacy with others. Why we have this yearning? We're built for relationship. God built us this way, but this is the dimension of helping, serving, communicating, listening, complimenting, encouraging, giving, doing your part, being involved—whole dimension of our life. But how are we being satisfied in this area? And finally, the religious side of life—I know that's a funny word to use, but you don't have to be a Christian to have this dimension of your life. It's the sense of being good. You see, we want to know that we are good, that we are righteous. Hey, I—I—I'm a good person. You see, there's a yearning to be a good person and on good terms with greater powers, whether that's with our parents or whether that's with our boss or whether that's with our God. And what happens to us as Christians? We begin to realize we're not good. And we begin to wiggle in our seats and we begin to realize we're not on good terms with God. And what happens? It's called religion. A religion is attempting to solve that. But where do you turn to solve that? I'm going to introduce you to one called the all-sufficient one who can solve that. However, where do we go? We oftentimes, especially as Christians, go to our own work, our own attempts to say, God, is that good enough? Am I behaving now properly? Am I on good terms with you? Okay, so these are the areas of our life that I'm going to touch on. The grace mine. Now, remember I talked about it being the gold mine earlier? Well, the gold mine only leads us to the concept of financial strength. And so that's misleading. What I want us to do is replace the word gold with the word grace. Now let me, everything that is needful for life and godliness. What it says in Second Peter, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of, our Jesus, and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. All things. Everything that is needed for life. Everything that is needed for godliness, which is what we're talking about. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So I'm going to call this the grace mine. In other words, when you go, when, when you get that letter from your father in heaven, and he says, I know your needs. I know those seven dimensions of your life. I built you. I made you. And I'm the only one that can satisfy every single one of those things. If you turn anywhere else, in any of those seven domains, outside of me, you will die in that arena. Though it may look good to the world, and though it may have a little benefit, it will not stand in the day of testing. For instance, health. Lance Armstrong, one of the strongest men, one of the most physically fit men to ever walk the earth, got cancer. Did it spare him? A breakdown of a physical body? No. You see, if you turn to anything outside of God, you are still vulnerable. However, when you turn to God, you are invulnerable. I know I'm probably even stepping on toes by saying that. You say, what about Paul? His head was removed from his body. Jesus was crucified. Nails through his hands. God was in control. He says there's a big difference between putting Satan in control of your life saying, I trust your system, Lucifer. I trust your false light. And then breaking down under its insufficiency to turning yourself over to the all-sufficient one and he says, can I spend this body? And we say... Yes, you, you may, Lord Jesus. You may have me and use me any way you want. In that system, to live as Christ and to die is gain. There's no downside. When you turn to the all-sufficient one, you live and you ever live. The grace that is mine. Remember we called it the grace mine? Now I want you to understand something. That grace mine is yours. So the way you could say it is, that grace is mine. It belongs to you in Christ Jesus. By faith, you literally have access to this. It's not just Eric that has a nice letter of the Havilah gold mine. And you're like, oh, how did he get that? Oh, he he always gets special favor. You have it. Just receive the letter from your father. It's called Jesus Christ. And he says, you. And you're like, me? What? What, What about me? This is for you. And you go, the grace is mine. Everything that you could possibly need for life and godliness. So, seven theaters, seven arenas of your life, everything satisfied in Jesus. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon's famous statement on that point is When it says, My grace is sufficient for thee, most of us don't understand what the word sufficient really means. We don't understand that it is so comprehensive, it's so far reaching. That it's not just like, yeah, uh, you need $20, I'll give you $20. No, it's like the little fish in the ocean calling out to the creator of the ocean saying, creator, I'm concerned that I'll run out of water. And the creator says, no little fish, just no. The water of the ocean is sufficient for you. His grace is like the water of the ocean and you're the little fish. You will never run dry. You will never run out. Law and grace. We'll describe laws, man's effort on God's behalf. It's like, for you, God, I will give my best effort. And God says, mm, doesn't please me. Grace is God's effort on man's behalf. You see, we can't save ourselves. God can. God's effort on man's behalf. When we, in our own strength, attempt to live out the God life, when we turn to that tree of knowledge of good and evil, we sin and we violate the law of God. The clear command which says only me. Only me. No other gods before me. We turn and put another God before him. And it's called sin. You sin, you die. It's called the law of sin and death. However, when you turn to the tree at Golgotha, this is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This is the tree of life. When you turn to the tree of life and you, you live, it says believe and live. So this is sin and die. This is believe and live. It's called the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. You turn and you are now clothed in Christ Jesus. You have the grace mind. You are literally brought into the grace mind. Here, here is your solution to everything. So it says in Romans 8, 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made made me free from the law of sin and death. You're free from having to turn to these other solutions. Humanliness. Man's effort on God's behalf. Who supplies the power in humanliness? Well, man does. Who gets the glory then? Man does. You see, your humanliness is applauded by a lot of the church today. Your humanliness is applauded by the world. The world loves it when a human can demonstrate that they can live outside of God. Look what humans can do. We don't need God. You become only living proof of what God, or the fact that God isn't needed in this earth. That's what humanism is in a nutshell. We don't need God. We are sufficient in and of ourselves to save ourselves. So don't err on the side of humanliness. So let's look at a few examples. The health side of life. The sense of being whole and strong. This is how humanliness works. And by the way, this step's on my toes. I used to be an exercise junkie. And so I understand the confidence that I can put. I used to feel... Like, first, is I would go into depression if I, missed an ex- if I missed a workout in a day. I would. I would actually sink in my emotional state. I put such confidence in it. I need to exercise, otherwise I'll be depressed. Something's wrong in this picture. Is exercise wrong? No. There's a benefit to it. However, if it becomes your God and your solution, you put your confidence in that instead of, Jesus, something is wrong with it. So the health side of life, the sense of being whole and strong, So here's the humanliness. It rises up and it says, I will get eight hours of sleep a night. I will exercise diligently a minimum of 300 days during the year. I will avoid gluten, nitrates, processed foods, and refined sugars. I will eat raw foods, drink raw milk, restrain myself to a vegan diet, and supplement my body with the vitamins and minerals currently lacking in the modern foods of our day. I will make a green smoothie twice a day, avoid secondhand smoke, get a flu shot in January of every year, do self-checks for cancer monthly, and of course always wear sunblock if outside for longer than periods of 30 minutes. I will visit the doctor yearly for an annual checkup just to make sure I'm not missing something. I will tightly monitor my water intake and always know where my water comes from. I will avoid eating at restaurants that have demonstrated health code violations and yes, look both ways before crossing the street. And if I do these things, listen to this line, and if I do these things, I will boast a pu- picture of vibrant health. My faith is in that. Where does your vibrant health come from? Well, by doing all that. And of course, be able to take all the credit for such amazing vitality. What I'm saying is not the antithesis of saying if you exercise, you are doing the wrong thing. Any more than I'm saying spikenard is evil. But Mary put her confidence in her spikenard and as a result had to bring it in when Jesus was eating and break it out on his feet. If you have something in your life that has become a counterfeit savior, it is serious in the kingdom of heaven. Exercising itself, lifting a barbell is not evil. Eating a health food, something that says organic on it, is not evil. But being controlled by if it says organic on it or if it doesn't is wrong. Something is wrong when you are controlled by the things of this earth instead of the things of heaven. Number two, the financial side of life, the sense of being stable and secure. So, what's my humanliness? And all, if you grew up like me, this is just wired into the system. As long as I do it this way, I'll be taken care of. Because God will have to honor the fact that I am doing everything right down here. I will work hard. I will diligently apply myself to my career and apply myself to my financial money management. I will hold myself to a strict budget, never spending in excess of my income. I will tie 10% to a charity that I feel is upstanding and will demonstrate good stewardship of the funds entrusted. I will set aside 20% of my monthly income into my insurance account for the day that an unexpected disaster may strike or the day I may fall upon a misfortune. I will take another 20% of my income and invest it. But my investments will be conservative and carefully monitored. I will split my investment portfolio into multiple streams of economic behavior so that in good times and in bad times, my portfolio will be certain to grow. I will then live frugally on the remaining 50% of my income and never allow myself to veer outside of the pale of my self-imposed spending restraints. In doing this, I am certain to prove a picture of inspiration to all those struggling humans out there that can't seem to live within their means. And, of course, be able to take all the credit for such amazing financial wherewithal. Where does your confidence lie? In a day ahead of financial collapse, where does your confidence lie? If it lies in your bank account, if it lies in your 401k, if it lies in your social security, if it lies in anything outside of Jehovah God, you will collapse in that day along with the economic system. But if you can be separated from all that, not need it, and find a complete dependence upon Jehovah, whether they freeze your bank accounts and empty your bank accounts... Whether they cancel the fact that you even exist on planet Earth and you can no longer buy and trade. You can't do anything. Where do you say, Oh, but I have my supply in Jesus Christ. Watch. Watch what He will do. You see, He will never forsake me. He knows I have need, and He says, Seek first the kingdom of heaven and His righteousness, and all these things will be added. Watch what my God will do. Where does your faith lie? Are these things bad? Is it bad? Is it bad to handle your money wisely? It's far better to do that than to just throw it out into the streets and stomp on it. Money itself is not the problem. It's the love, the unhealthy adoration of it that is the root of all evil. Number four, the intelligence side of life. So this is just, I know I skipped three, but I'm giving three illustrations. The intelligence side of life, the sense of being right and competent. How do we solve this? What is our humanliness? Well, I'll read a book daily. I will make sure to master at least seven languages. I will get two PhDs, I will speak with big words and seek to understand concepts that the average man doesn't compute. I will meditate on large things, on mysterious things, and I will seek to solve them. I will exercise my mind daily with Sudoku and crossword puzzles, and of course, play Jeopardy on my iPhone during my breaks at work. I will hang out with others that stimulate my brain and question everything. I will learn the art of cross-examination and learn to ply everything with question, doubting the existence of everything if necessary in order to look at life through a fresh and novel lens. And I will smoke a pipe and wear a smoking jacket. And in doing this, I am certain to prove a picture of vast intellect and wholly intimidate anyone who dares to enter into a conversation with me. And of course, be able to take all the credit for such amazing intellectual prowess. Where's your confidence lie? And ironically, though, that be a bit of a stretch for the way Christians typically behave, where there's a whole intelligentsia in Christianity that functions exactly like that. And their salvation is in what they know about Jesus, not in the fact that they know Jesus. And it's a deadly disease known as idolatry. Godliness. God's effort on man's behalf. So in God's effort on man's behalf, the all-sufficient one, when we turn to him, who supplies the power? God does. Who gets the glory? God does. And that's why you are called to exercise godliness. The Christian life can be explained only in terms of Jesus Christ. And if your life as a Christian can still be explained in terms of you, your personality, your willpower, your gift, your talent, your money, your courage, your scholarship, your dedication, your sacrifice, or your anything, are you being described over here of how wisely you handle these dimensions of your life in your own human strength? It's like, you know, I know they're a Christian, but what really impresses me about them is their business sense. What really impresses me is their scholarship. That guy knows more things than anyone on the earth. You know, what really impresses me is how they handle their money. What really impresses me is their diligence in athletic pursuit and exercise. What are you known for? You are known for Jesus Christ. However, it doesn't mean the absence of this. Like, oh, and what I really am impressed with is that they never exercise. It's not the absence of it. It's the fact that that is overshadowed by the fact that you could give up all those things and be perfectly strong in the person of Jesus Christ. You are not attached to it. In any regard. It's called the liberty that is found in Christ Jesus. You have come to Christ and you are set free. From any system of this earth. It could all be stripped away. The earth and the sky could melt away. And you're fixed upon a rock. And you will not be moved. So. If you can be described by anything. Then although you may have the Christian life. Here's another way of saying it. Even though you may have the grace mind. You are not let yet living it. Even though you may have the grace You are not yet in it and digging for the gold in it. You are not going after the grace that you have. You have it in Christ. Well, then use it because your life is still explained by your pebble business. We don't care about your pebble business. God isn't impressed with your pebble business. Forsake your pebble business. Break out your pebble business on the feet of Jesus. Give it up and turn to God's grace Mine. Humanliness says this is an illustration just of physical health to be healthy you must watch what you eat be careful about every little thing that goes in and out of your body your physical strength and stamina stamina directly correlates to the diet you choose and the amount of physical exercise you invest that's called natural law you know that that's actually correct it's sort of like if i throw this penny up in the air it'll drop and hit the ground and you could say that's true whether it says that in the bible or not it's just natural law It's the way things work in this natural realm. What the Bible does is it comes in and says, I understand natural law, but I'm going to give you a higher law. It's called supernatural law. It's God. The creator is higher than his creation. So when he came down, someone could say, yeah, you know that it's impossible to walk on water? Jesus, could you imagine him coming up to someone and saying, so what does natural law say about walking on water? And someone could say, well, it's impossible. You can't do that. he says, "What, what was that that you just said? And he walks out on the water. You say, well, it's imposs- impossible to do that. What are you, what? How are you doing that? Christianity is a demonstration to the earth of a higher law. It's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. We are all under the law and we are condemned to death. However, a higher law has intervened in this situation. It says, believe, and you will live by a higher law. And the law we live by is higher. It is faith in the all-sufficient one instead of faith in all these systems of this earth. So godliness, the higher law, says to be healthy, you must come to the master of life, Jesus Christ. He is life, abundant life. Those who come to him live in him and yield their bodies to his invading life, discover a health, an energy, a strength, and a physical vigor based on the power and authority of a supernatural law. It is a strength and vigor that does not deteriorate based on diet and exercise, but one that continues forever based on the endless supply of the grace of God accessed via faith. It does not mean the opposite, and this is where all the spurts come out. It does not mean that now you purposely go out and pack full your pantry full of candy bars and say, did you hear the message? You see, I've turned to Jesus, and now I'm free to eat as much junk, as much poison as I can. At the same time, what you have, and this is what I was talking to the men about this morning, is maybe you're going to be freed from idolatry and say, you know what? All things are clean to me. I can eat whatever I want, and there's a part truth in that. However, don't switch out your idolatry for adultery and now have an inordinate affection for all the junk of this earth and stimulate your flesh that way. We're supposed to be freed from idolatry and not go smack into adultery. We're supposed to be freed from both and find our sufficiency in Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you get a candy bar in front of you and a carrot, it still is a good thing to eat that which would Be life to you in the natural. Not just purposely avoid it. However, if someone stuck a candy bar in front of you and you're you're one of those pure organic types that is afraid of such things and you start to tremble even getting near uh, chocolate with sugar in it, is is this sweetened with xylitol or is that actually sugar? Yeah, it's refined sugar. (gasps) And they say, eat this candy bar or die. You know what you do? You open it up and you go, I would love to. And you fully enjoy every bite of it. Unafraid that those refined sugars can compromise your immune system. Your immune system is held in the hollow of his hand. It's not held in the hollow of your ability to keep this diligent routine. You can drink poison and be perfectly fine. It will flush through your body like water. We are not under the natural law. We are under the supernatural law. And we do not feel, we don't pursue junk. We pursue anything that is health but in that, if you go to a foreign country, you know, it's rude not to eat what's put in front of you, and imagine if you're a vegan. Imagine if you haven't eaten meat for 20 years of your life, and they serve up a big steak packed full of hormones and nitrates. (laughs) Here's what I would tell you to do. Take out the fork, sharpen, you know, your fork against your knife. I've never done that, but I've seen them do that in, like, Mongolian type of movies. And then dig into that steak and thank God for it. Receive it with thanksgiving, and it will be life unto your body. So, where was I? It is a strength and vigor that does not deteriorate based on diet and exercise, but one that continues forever based on the endless supply of the grace of God accessed via faith. What does the world say? The world says water cannot be walked on. The world says fishes and loaves cannot be multiplied. Winds and waves cannot be still. Dead men do not come back to life. Would they be right? According to natural law, they are Right? However, we do not submit to natural law. We introduce them to something higher. We say, we understand that you're limited to these gods. But I would like to tell you to repent of these gods and turn to the true God, which is over all natural law. You no longer need to be subservient to that system. You can be set free to live under God's system. What does the Bible say? The laws of heaven are higher than the laws of this earth. A believer can pick up mountains and throw them into the midst of the sea. A believer can run and not be weary, walk and not faint. A believer can be stoned, get back up and continue on preaching. A believer can drink poison and not be harmed. A believer can eat meat, even the ones injected with all sorts of bad hormones. And it will be sanctified unto his body. A believer can be bitten by a poisonous viper and uninjured. Throw off the viper into the fire. Do you imagine, Paul? There's a viper on his hand. It's a poisonous viper. I mean, what, what do most of us do? What does natural wisdom say? I need to get this checked out. Could you imagine him submitting to the witch doctor on the island? Could you just check this out? And all of you say, well, you wouldn't go to a witch doctor. You'd go to this one. You'd go to a a real credible MD. What if you don't have one? You see, you're turning to something. Do you guys have any, like, ointments or mixtures around here? Any herbal remedies? Do you have something that I could do to stimulate my immune system to try and fight this off? What does Paul do? It's as simple as this. Throws it back into the fire and keeps on talking. I could imagine he's, like, probably talking. Yes, and as I was saying... He just keeps on going. He completely ignores the danger. Allow Jesus to be your life and you will profit in all things. In this scripture, in 1 Timothy, it actually is talking very specifically about food. And it's likening that to exercising godliness. In other words, no. Well, I'll just read it. Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. That's over here. Hey, come over here. We'll solve your issue. And they forsake what? The faith. The faith in the all-sufficient one. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. So this is in the context of abstaining from meats. He says, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving uh, of them, which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused. If it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. It is made life to me by the word of God and prayer. That's what it says. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. What a strange thing to put anyone in remembrance of. It's like that is so obscure, Paul. Why are we even focused on it? Because in that day, this was huge. This was enormous. They come from the, you have the Hebrew culture mixed with the Gentile culture. And the Hebrews are saying, we need to keep these laws to be right. If we're going to be right with God, we have to do all these little things. And what was Christianity? No, all those things are solved in Jesus Christ. So, if you share these things, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables. And by the way, I've been thinking a lot about what profane and old wives' tales are. They're everything that leads you back to this side of the ledger. But did you know that if this happens, this is always the case? Mm -hmm, I've seen it. Mm -hmm. Uh, My great aunt, Martha, went through that, and sure enough, it happened to her. Old wives' tales, anything that keeps you away from the all-sufficient one. Anything. So, but refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness... For bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. You see, if you turn unto God, it's like the light switch. Yeah, you could turn on that individual light and you'll probably feel stronger. Your muscles will develop. Yeah, if you eat that food instead of this food, your body will be a little better. But you want health, you want life, turn on this switch. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. That, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. What a strange thing to talk about. He says, "This is good. Listen to this. Deal with the majors and in so doing take care of the minors. If you love, you fulfill the commands. If you believe you have ever life everlasting. If you clean the inside, the outside is clean also. If you exercise godliness, you will profit in all things." What are we trying to do? These are all things. And God says, "Exercise godliness." Exercise his all sufficiency in every area and guess what? You will profit in all things. In Christ or in the grace mine. Now here's the seven things. First one health. We are made whole and strong in Christ. These are promises. I didn't have time to go through all the statements scripturally on this because I ran out of time in preparing this message. But we are made whole and strong in Christ Jesus. So the health yearning is solved. We are made stable and secure. The financial yearning is solved in Christ. We are satisfied and refreshed. The comfort yearning is solved. We are given truth and are entrusted with the mind of Christ. The intellectual yearning is solved. We are made alive. The purpose yearning is solved. We are given love for our brother and entrusted the ministry of reconciliation. The relationship yearning is solved. And we are justified and reconciled unto God. The religious yearning is solved. Where is it solved? In Christ. It is not solved over here. There is no other counterfeit replacement that can do the job. There is only one throughout all history that has been able to satisfy how you were built. Who built you? Jesus built you. He's the creator. And he's the only means of saving you in these dimensions. What is hindering us from the grace of mine? Isn't that a funny question? Because as you listen to this, I don't know if if I actually stepped on toes. Maybe maybe I've made it through and you guys are still fine. However, you know that there's some funny thing where we have a, a devotion. To something over here and we say, but I can't leave that. I can't give up my spikenard. Why can't we give up our spikenard? Because the wisdom of this world says what? Well, if you have spikenard, that's a gift from God. And so God wouldn't ask you to give up that which he has given you. That is a security for you that God himself has given you. That's an interesting point. And so what do we do? We justify our gods under the banner of it pleasing God even. It's a very funny and twisted logic. Four big stumbling blocks for modern Christians. First, the power of they. The fear of losing the good opinion of the world. What I'm saying to you, by the way, I may sound normal and sane and lucid as I'm talking with you. However, what I'm saying does not translate that way into the world. They would look at it as absolute idiocy. And they would come up with all sorts of stories. I've, I've heard about Christians doing that. Yeah, did you ever hear about this one Christian? Mm-hmm, they'd that and they died. I tell you what, there are stories all over the place of Christians that did this and died. Oh, yeah, yeah, they ended up in the poorhouse. Sure, yeah, their business went bankrupt. They prayed. They thought that would do it instead of good business sense. I'm not against business sense, but I'm going to tell you there's something that trumps business sense, and that's Jehovah God. You put your faith in him and live. Any other thing, God will prove to you in the end that your system stinks. Your little pebble business may be impressive to everyone around you. But to God, it's not impressive. So the power of they, well, what will they think? I mean, I I don't really want to look this way to them. You see, they has a power over our life. If that's a struggle for you, you should listen to my sermon called The Power of They. But by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. If there was anyone who gave up a big position... His spikenard, it was Moses. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Listen to this line. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. He had respect unto the all-sufficient one. This is his reward. Moses was willing to give up all the favor of the world, all the position that he had. If there was anyone that could save the world... Even the Hebrews, with his own strength, his own right hand, as Scripture would say. It would be Moses. He had the potential to even be Pharaoh. He had the knowledge. He was more educated. He was known back in that day as literally a mighty conqueror at the level of Alexander the Great or Napoleon. Read Josephus, the writings of Josephus on Moses. It's extraordinary. This man had the stuff in the natural realm, yet he forsook it. He gave it all up. He refused it because he saw the value of the all-sufficient one. So I don't know what your story is, but Moses had a lot more to lose than you do. And he refused all of this to gain all of God. So what's the second reason we hesitate? The sway of human wisdom, the uncanny ability for earthly reasoning to trump heavenly command. God makes it clear in Scripture, and what do we do? Well, yeah, it does say that, but, and we have some very interesting twist on it, which to all of us in this room sounds completely reasonable. I understand how this works because that's my mind too. I popped out of the same womb in the same kind of culture you did, same time period. We all have been affected or infected by this. This is, Leslie and I have been in relationships, the topic of relationships for years. This is one of these classic statements. If you see a dilly, don't dilly dally. This is the wisdom that is given to men. Oh, you see a girl you like? Don't dilly dally. Go get her. It sounds good, doesn't it? But what it does is it usurps the position that God has in your life. Who's in control of your life? Your emotions, your lusts, your longings? God is. So take the pen and script the next chapter of your love story. God doesn't want you sitting around waiting for him. Take things into your own hands and love God by exerting your strength. God gave you this talent, this intellect, this position. You can't bury it. You must use it. All good sounding stuff. However, God's given me this ability. He's given me all these things. God... Built the medical industry, didn't he? And I can turn to that. I don't need to turn to God and belabor him with my issues. I don't need to weigh him down. I can go to these things. I'm not against the fact that someone can practice medicine and work with the human body. What I'm against is dependence upon it. Faith in that system instead of putting faith in God. God gave you the medical industry. He gave you antidepressants. He gave you Ritalin. You must use it. God gave you this pebble business. You must exhaust the possibilities of that before you even think of taxing his grace mind. Don't wear down God with your issues financially. You deal with your stuff. You make good money. God has limited resources. He can't just bail out everyone. So you deal with your stuff and then come to God. After you are fine financially, then you can come to God and entrust your finances to him. Could you imagine if you handled your soul that way? If I just do enough good works, if I can just be right with God, then I'll come to him as if God will receive you. God says, give me the indebted, give me the poor, bring them to me. God knows we're a mess. It's all right. God gave you this knowledge of Hebrew, Greek, and all this soteriological of mystery. Make sure you fully utilize your mind before you ever think of taxing God and asking for his mind on the matter. You have a good mind. You don't need to go and study God's mind on the matter. You don't need to ask him for wisdom. Why do you need wisdom when you have so much? There are things that you need to do first. If you want to be right with God, start living right. Start being more pure, more honest, more generous. That way you can prove to God your sincerity, and he'll let you in the door. It's a direct contradiction to the all-sufficient one. Godliness is his work on our behalf, not our work on his behalf. Number three, this is another hindrance that keeps us. The need for insurance. The fear that faith in Christ may not prove enough in the end. Some of you are like, yes, I really need to put all my confidence in Jesus. But what do you want to take along with you? Your box of spikenard. Can I be in Christ and also have my box of spikenard? You answer that. You see, you must forsake any other dependency, any other pasticos or mamonas. You cannot take your mammonas with you into Christ. To come into Christ demands a repentance of all that you once believed in. All that you once put your trust in. So you lay down that and you forsake it to come into the all-sufficiency that is Jesus. Because that mamonas is a contradiction. You have confidence in that, but you also want to have a little confidence in Jesus. What it's called is insurance. In other words, okay, Jesus, I really do think you can save me. Hey, buddy, could you take out an insurance policy on me for salvation just in case he doesn't come through in the end? God, I know you can heal me. And by the way, could you set up an appointment over here uh, just in case God doesn't come through? We have something else that we put our confidence in, and God wants to touch that. Where does your confidence lie? What does Paul do with his, all his insurance policy? You know that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had his insurance policy. He was right with the law. He had done everything. He dotted every I and crossed every T. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. You have an insurance policy outside of Jesus? Consider it dung. I didn't come up with the word. I'm just repeating it. Consider it dung that I may win Christ. I just want Christ. And if there's anything that's hindering me from Christ, I cut it off. I treat it as literally the lowest thing on earth. And I do not want it to hinder hinder me. Nothing can hinder me. Okay, how about this one? The fog of superstition. Ignorantly giving Satan power that he does not in actuality possess. This is the old wives' tale section. Uh, The classic illustration, I know we joke about it in our family tree, of the, uh, the, the crust of the bread is healthier. You know, it's one of those types of things where whoever studied that one out. But it's just one of those things. According to the ignorant, this is actually a list of what the ignorant think. And all you, all of you, are going to say, "I can't believe people think this." Well, then I'm going to apply it to us. A bird in the house is a bad sign. Whoa, you have a bird in your house? Oh no, oh no. A loaf of bread should never be turned upside down after a slice has been cut from it. This is called. I'm dead serious. These are superstitions. People actually can freeze up if this ever happens and literally turn over to fear. Never take a broom along when you move. Throw it out and buy a new one. If the first butterfly you see in the year is white, you will have good luck all year. If a black cat walks toward you, it brings good fortune, but if it walks away, it takes the good luck with it. An acorn at the window will keep lightning out. A dog howling at night when someone in the house is sick is a bad omen. It's bad luck to leave a house through a different door than the one used to come into it. A horseshoe hung in the bedroom will keep nightmares away. If you catch a falling leaf on the first day of autumn, you will not catch a cold all winter. What is the trust in? What is the confidence in? It's in these signs and omens. It's called superstition. When something outside of God is governing your expectations and your future. It's called fortune telling. It's just a very creative way of doing it. That is a sign, which means this. Your fortune has been read. Your fortune has been told, and you submit to it. So that's just the way it is. Yeah. Yeah, when that happens, that means this. It's called an old wives' tale. It is a superstition, and this is one of the reasons why, in a moment like that, we turn to have our situation solved here. We're thinking in alignment with this. Oh, if you ever have this situation, you need to immediately come to me. I will help you with it. Oh, and if this ever happens, that's a sign. Turn, run to me, and I will solve your issue. The spot. So I'm going to give you a few different illustrations. The spot, the spot on the body, okay? This is the classic thing because I have, I get spots on my body and they don't affect me. This is not my particular weakness. Mine are in other areas. Financially was where my spot would be. But for physical people, people that are affected greatly in the physical dimension and their health, is, they feel like they're going to die an early death and it's just like constantly plugging them. The spot, it's an omen, a portent, a sign. It means something. Okay, so all the ignorance, what do we look at? Well, how about this? We are smarter, aren't we? Because we know that a spot, naturally speaking, in this realm means this, 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 and this. So let's follow this. If you ever see a discoloration to the mole, then that means. If you ever see a spot that is a bit unusual, then that means. If a spot on your body itches, then that means. And you could fill in the blank. Because we might all have different answers to that. Could you imagine if I said... If you ever see a discoloration of the mole, then that means that you are healthier than you've ever been. You see, a discoloration of a mole is a sign that your body is stimulating its immune system. And actually, you could run a marathon right now. Go out, run it right now. See, that's not the way we think. What happens when we see the discoloration is we immediately knock our knees. We immediately get weak because that means something. It heralds something in our world. It's a sign or it's an omen. It's a tarot card that has been laid out before Say, this is your future. You must self-protect. You must do something to solve this. So great-aunt Martha once had a spot, and she didn't respond to it quick enough. And you know what happened to her. See, no one needs to finish these sentences. We all just know. It's like, (gasps) fear, when it comes in and begins to control the superstition actually causes us to turn away from God because fear is not of the kingdom of heaven. Faith is. So not many of us see a spot and say, praise God. What a neat thing. That is a reminder that God is my all-sufficiency. You see, instead we turn to obviously lowest common denominator, worst case scenario. Choose which one you, be- which one you are going to believe. The spot, the tarot card that pretends your destruction, or the cross. The work of God that accomplishes your rescue from every last spot. Now, let me read the second one again. Which one are you going to believe? And you could say, well, in the natural realm, I have a spot. And I could say, in the supernatural realm, you have a cross. Which one are you going to turn to? Are you going to turn to the all-sufficient one right now? And recognize that the work of God accomplishes your rescue from every last spot. Don't be afraid of a spot. God's not intimidated by a spot. God is over all spots. All portents, all signs, all omens. Submit to him. They must be corrected by his word and his promise. What does he say? That's what matters. Other spots. The Dow. The Dow Industrial uh, Average just dropped 500 points. You know what that means? Well, I'll let you fill in the blank. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't need to mean anything to you. But it does mean something to some people. And guess what? When things start collapsing, what does everyone do? They start selling. And suddenly, that which was merely a sign and a portent becomes reality. That which you submit to in fear becomes self-fulfilling. The absence of coffee. Boy, if I ever miss my coffee in the morning, watch out. And guess what? You miss your coffee in the morning, then what do you accept? You accept a bad attitude all day. Because that was a sign and a portent. And instead of turning unto Jesus and having that solved in him, what did you do? You turned to the bad attitude. He said, hey, I'm subservient to it. I have no choice. Coffee, the lack of coffee means or equals this. That's a superstition. That is, a, that is literally ignorance of the truth of God's kingdom. The missed extra point. Classic illustration from my background. If ever in the first quarter, second quarter, your team missed a close field goal or an extra point, oh no, that'll come back to haunt us. And I know that if I'm thinking it, every team player over there is thinking it too. It's a sign of a and guess what? Almost every time it's self fulfilled. And the team near the end probably even gets knees knocking going, we missed that field goal in the very beginning. Now it's going to haunt us. Instead of shunning it and refusing it and saying, that's ridiculous, it's a sign of ignorance. The, per, the, the personality test. Have you ever taken a personality test that defines how you are, who you are, how you behave? Well, now you're bound to it. No, you're bound to his life, not some test. That test doesn't define you. God defines you. And yet you will do things. You'll choose career based on it. You'll choose how you relate in a relationship based on it. You'll choose how you relate in a church body based on it. Instead of saying, God, what do you have for me? That's what I'll do. And whatever you call me to, I'll be fully equipped for it. The age of 30. If by the age of 30 you haven't found your man or your woman, sorry to say this, but you probably will never find them. Okay, you can accept that? My sister was 33. Where do these things come from? It's called a sign or a portent. And if at that time you begin to lose faith in God because you reach the age of 30, that's ridiculous. Amp up the faith. Watch what my God will do. We are not under the thumb of ignorance and superstition. We follow our king and our master who is known as the truth. Are you saying that I'm not supposed to do anything? Okay, so in other words, am I not supposed to exercise? Am I not supposed to eat the carrot? Am I not supposed to invest? I mean, is investment wrong? Am I not supposed to ever go on a vacation? Am I not? Okay, you could follow the, the, the line of this. So I'll just read this. Are you not supposed to do anything? No, you are supposed to do something. First, you are supposed to believe. Your job, the work of the, of the kingdom of heaven is to believe. That's what it is. It's not to exercise. It's not to invest. It's not to save up. It's not to go on vacations. It's to believe. It's to believe in the all-sufficient one. In every single situation that you encounter in this life, you are to turn to Jesus for grace and allow Him to be your life and power. Your confidence must solely rest upon Him and not in you. If you are finding that you are finding solace, hope, and confidence in anything outside of Jesus, then you must repent of this idolatry and yield it up to Jesus Christ. Every arena of your life must be cleansed and your mind must be renewed in it. God must purify your approach to health Health is just a dimension of our life. We're in these bodies and we're stuck here. So it's not the ignorance of it. It's not the avoidance of it. It's the consecration of it. To say, God, I've had the wrong God on my throne in the arena of health. You're supposed to be there. And I want to say I repent and I renounce the position that I've given organic food in my life. All those books that told me to fear if this ever happened. Turning to the medical industry as my God. Whatever they say is my gospel. Whatever they say, whatever they diagnose over me is true. As opposed to turning to you and saying, but what do you say? If you say I'm supposed to live, like Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor had the plague and his his medical, he was a medical student. His doctor, the guy who had the doctorate that was teaching him, told him to go home and die. There was nothing he could do. Hudson Taylor's laying in his bed with the plague. Dying. His body is really dying. And what does he say? I'm called to China. Sticks his feet out on the floor, stands up, and starts walking. And Hudson Taylor went to China and changed modern missions. What's your reality? Whose diagnosis are you listening to? The all-sufficient one? Or are you listening to something else? Who is your God? If you have the wrong God, cleanse that temple. Purge it. I'm not going to try and criticize organic food. I don't want to criticize the fact that it's better to eat the carrot than the candy bar. I don't want to criticize these things. What I want to say is those things don't rule us. So God must... where, Where am I? God must purify your approach to health as he himself is your very life. God must purify your approach to money as he himself is your supply. God must purify your approach to comfort as he himself is your comforter. God must purify your approach to intellectual pursuit as he himself is truth. God must purify your approach to finding purpose for, by becoming your soul's delight. God must purify your approach to finding relationships by becoming your dearest heart, friend, and bridegroom. And God must purify your approach to religion by becoming your salvation, your righteousness, your justification, your atonement, your very clothing and admittance unto heaven. When first things are taken care of, past patterns repented, and new patterns walked in, then you are free to engage in that arena with liberty and without the concern of legalities. I had a whole season where I was addicted to exercise, physical exercise. My emotions stemmed around it. I was either up or down based on if I got a good exercise in that day. If I didn't, I would fret about it, saying I'm going to lose all my gain. Everything that I was gaining physically, I needed to keep up. And so I could literally be in a conversation with someone, and I know I need to get to the, the, the gym, and it's just like, yeah, 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 yeah. In other words, it controlled me. Up, down, all over the place. Sports controlled me. I was literally, on a Monday, depressed if the Broncos lost on a Sunday. You know how pathetic that is? To literally be controlled by something outside of the atmosphere of heaven. How is it in heaven? Well, just get in Christ and just live there. God's not up and down and all around. He's marked by peace and joy. Always. So, you do not have legalities, though. Did you know that I could watch a football game today and not feel a conviction over it? However, I can sense in my soul when I'm beginning to have that little hankering again. And I begin to think about it. And every time I walk by a sports page, I I shift it a little as I'm standing there at Alba. And I'm like, huh. I still, By the way, there's a stack of newspaper there. And when I'm waiting there, oftentimes I'll just have to purposely walk over to the table and stand there and wait for my drink. Because I have such a propensity to start going through. And I just want information. I just want to know what's going on. I mean, did the Broncos get anyone in free agency? And I know I have a propensity. It's not bad. But what I don't want to do is feed something that could easily take over my life. Right now, I'm not drinking sodas. I haven't drunk root beer for a couple weeks. By the way, that's that's, that's not that easy. Uh, (laughs) But it's not a legality in my soul. It's not like I feel like I would be on God's bad side if I didn't. However, I was noticing that I had a craving for it. It was like an inordinate affection for it, like root beer. I really feel like a root beer. And so what I said is, you know what? I'm going to fast that right now. I'm not going to feed that. Okay, but that's not a legality in my life. I wouldn't say, you need to do it too. I'm saying, for me, I know the, the tenor of my soul. So if Mary starts going back and building up her little collection of spikenard and beginning to say, okay, at least I feel better now. I have Jesus, but I, and at least I'm starting to rebuild my spikenard box. What should she do? Hmm, I see what I'm doing. She should freshly take her pasticos and pour it out on Jesus. Jesus, this is yours. Always yours. But the spikenard itself is not her problem. It's her inordinate affection and her trust and her confidence in it instead of in God. So, for instance, you can eat healthy foods without putting your confidence and trust in healthy foods. You can invest 20% of your income without putting any of your confidence in your earthly investments. And you can study the Bible, pray, fast, and wholly devote yourself to the pursuit of God without putting your confidence in your own personal discipline and effort. Faith must be in Christ. Then whether we eat or drink, we can give glory unto our God. Doesn't no matter what we're doing, we can still eat. It's not like food is our problem. It's the inordinate affection towards food or our overdependence and overthoughtfulness towards food. It's the wrong thing to put confidence and trust in, and we can be freed from that. You know all these things that you fixated over in your life? Do you know that you can be set free from that? Praise God, what idiots we are. And the things that we fixate upon, and the fear and the anxiety we allow into our life by catering to all these things, God says, come, come over here. Let me teach you how to live in freedom and liberty from the controls of that. At the same time, you can still live in this earth, in this body, get this, in this natural realm. We still live in a natural realm. However, we apply supernatural principle to it. Reckoning the grace, mine, yours. That sounds like a funny statement, doesn't it? The grace, mine. The grace, mine is an item. You're supposed to reckon the grace, mine, yours. Sounds funny, mine yours. Reckoning the grace mine yours. There's a grace mine over here, and what you need to do is say, You've received the letter from your father, and he says, It's yours. I've deeded it to you. Well, then you say, I have a grace mine. I have everything I need in Jesus Christ. Altitude sickness in the yellow and lawn. If you have altitude sickness, you know what the symptom is? Headache. It can be nausea too, but a headache is oftentimes, especially in Colorado, the, the absence of something. It's the absence of water. You're dehydrated. And as a result, the effect of it is that you have a headache. So imagine that I set a glass of water in front of you. And I say, this is yours. And this solves headaches. That's exactly what the grace mine is. God says, you have a problem. I know the problem. It's the absence of something. It's the absence of me. So he sets himself as a living water in front of us and says, turn to me. And you know what We say, my headache is solved. And someone could say, but do you still feel the effects of it? Well, yeah, but my headache is solved. How is it solved? By faith that that water is mine. And then what should you do? You should drink the water. You should take in the water. And guess what? Even after you've begun to drink the water, do you know that your headache may still hold on for a little bit? The feelings of it. However, your headache is solved. Because that which solves a headache is present. You have everything you need in Jesus Christ to solve every ill Because your ills are the absence of God. When you have the presence of God, everything is going away. Instead of just turning to the medicine cabinet for your headache, turn to the water. And as a result, the water will saturate your body. And the natural effect, even in this natural realm, will be your headache will be soft. Yellowing lawn. You have a yellow lawn. What does it show? The absence of water. I'm sure it could show the presence of things, too like the presence of an insect. However, let's use the simple thing of a yellowing lawn that is simply dehydrated. It does not have water. So what if someone said, oh, I have water for you. The water is now in the line, and just turn on your sprinklers. Suddenly you say, oh, my yellow lawn is solved. My yellow lawn is solved. Why? Because you have water for it. And even though you put a little water on it, it still looks a little yellow, don't turn to the medicine cabinet. Don't turn to something else, that paint that you can paint your, your grass green, Turn to the water. The water will solve it. Just be patient. Walk this through. Trust that the all-sufficient one will accomplish it. Many of us start, we turn on the water for one day, and we're like, it's still yellow. And then we run to the medicine cabinet, whatever that medicine cabinet would be. And God says, do you trust that I am the solution? You say, yes. I say, but it's still yellow. Or I still have a dull headache. Keep drinking. Keep drinking. Keep drinking. What happens? Our issues are solved in the person of Jesus Christ. You must reckon it so. You have the solution in Jesus Christ. Don't buy the yellow lawn. Don't buy the fact that things take time to permeate this natural realm. But they do. Your job is to believe. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband. That I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest, by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Everything you could face in those seven theaters of life is solved in the person of Jesus Christ. Your job is to believe. There's a simplicity, and the enemy wants to complicate it. And I'm here to tell you, God wants to make it very, very, very simple. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one can come to the Father but by me. There is no other God that can save you. Repent and believe.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Lutie, pastor at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.e-l-l-e-r-s-l-i-e.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns, cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.